It's good to see all of you here today. Uh, I can tell that there are many who are not here. There are many on vacation. We know that when school is on holiday, parents take a holiday as well. So we know that there are a lot of uh, folks and, and uh, families that are out of town today, but we're certainly glad that you're here with us. Today is a, a very special Sunday because today is the last sermon from the series that we've been studying from the book of Romans. And when I, every time I come to the end of a book, whether it's preaching through it or, or studying or having a devotion through it, I'm always sad to come to the end of it. I feel like something is now missing. But the good news is, even though the sermon series of Romans will end today, you can go home today and open up chapter one of Romans and read it all over again. It is there for you every day. And God's word is a living word. There for you every day. Every moment you pick it up and you read from it, the Holy Spirit has something to say. And I'm thankful for that. But I am thankful that we are coming now to our finale, I guess you could say, from uh, the, the Roman series. Um, so with that, please turn to the last chapter, Romans chapter 16. And as you're turning to that Romans 16, let me just give uh, a few announcements. Uh, that might not be seen at the end of the service today. Number one, remember that in July, next month, we're out of one series, we're going back into another one. We're going to be studying from the, the Gospel of Mark. We may not go through every verse of Mark like we did with Romans, but there are plenty of wonderful pictures of Christ that we want to look at and study. And as I mentioned last week, the Gospel of Mark is almost like Mark is painting portraits of Christ, of who he is, of what he has accomplished, of how he loves us, of his compassion. He paints a portrait, and then it's almost like Mark is saying, now, what are you going to do with this? Now, how will you respond to this Jesus? And so that's kind of the theme we're going to be looking at as we study Mark and responding to the Lord Jesus Christ. That'll be starting in July. Um, also, we want to, uh, anybody here who is brand new in the faith, a brand new Christian, Maybe you're brand new here at the church. If you've never been water baptized, we want to give you that opportunity this year in the next couple of months. If you've never been baptized, listen, to, Jesus gives the command that for all who believe, they are to be baptized. Now in our church, we, we read the Bible and our understanding is baptism is a, a full submersion underwater. And what a beautiful picture it is. Because Romans teaches us that baptism is we are dead. We die with Christ. We are buried in those waters. And then we are lifted up a new man, a new woman, alive in Jesus Christ. The whole entire baptismal experience is an illustration of dying with Christ and being raised back to a brand new life to live forevermore following Jesus. If you have never been baptized in that fashion, or maybe you were baptized a long, long time ago when you were a kid and you only did it because mom and dad said you had to do it. Or for whatever reason, if you want to be baptized this year, water baptized, please come and see me personally. If you don't get a chance to see me, send me a message personally and let me know. Whether you're a young person or you're old, we start at about the age of 12 or 13 years old and we'll go up to 100 years old if you wish. But if you want to be baptized, please let us know uh, about that. And we'll be looking for you. 
uh, as well. And the last thing is, for those who are in leadership here at the church, our team leaders, but also including all of you who are teachers for Sunday school, for those of you that are serving on the, on the worship team, in any capacity, the ministry that you have here at the church, this coming Wednesday, on the very first floor in the Bahasa uh, Sanctuary, Pastor Sifera is going to be speaking this coming Wednesday evening about values of the Christian worker. And in other words, for those who are in ministry, what is our attitude toward the Lord Jesus Christ? What is our devotion to him? And also, how does that impact our ministry? How does it impact the way we work with other people in the body of Christ? She's going to be teaching this coming Wednesday night, and all of us from Alpha Omega International are invited to it. All right, so if you're interested in that, Please let us know, but we got to sign you up by today so we can let them know how many people from our church will be attending this coming Wednesday night. So keep that in mind. Romans chapter 16. Find the very last few verses, beginning at verse 25. Please stand with me as I read these last three verses. These verses are often called the benediction. Here's what Paul says. Here's how he concludes Romans. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all the nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, for the obedience to the faith. To God, alone wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Today's message is titled, God is able. Amen. You probably already have some idea on where I'm going with this message, but isn't it a wonderful thing that no matter what, we can always say these words, God is able able. But let's start off with what that actually means. What does Paul mean when he says God is able? Well, you know that word able, it, it comes from a, a Greek word called dynamis. Here it's called dynamai, but it comes from dynamis. And I don't know if you remember this or not, if your memory is that great from all the way back in chapter one of Romans, when we talked about that, we talked about the dynamis of God. Dynamis means the, the miracle, mighty, working power of God. Dynamis is where we get the word dynamite from. It talks about the miraculous, wonder-working power of the living God. We understand that God is omnipotent. That's why we say with God there is nothing that is impossible with Him. Amen? He is omnipotent. All the power belongs to him. That's dynamis. But here we have the word dynamai. What does that mean? It means that we are not only to understand that God has all the power, but in addition to that, God's power is at work in you. You see that? God is omnipotent. And that power that he has, he works that power in you through you, for you. God works his power. So when Paul says God is able, we are to picture that the omnipotent God, he works in my life, 
in miracle-working power, in dynamite power. You remember Jesus said to the disciples, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive dynamis, power of God. And that power of God is within us through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. When Paul says God is able, we can be thankful that not only is God all-powerful, but I'm thankful that he works that power in my life. Because without it, I don't know where I'd be today. And I'm sure the same is true for you. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. And in the, in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 1, Paul is talking about the prayer that he has for all the saints of God. It's a, it's a long prayer. You can tell how much Paul was praying for the church. But included in the prayer that he was making for the church in Ephesus, and also for all of you, he wanted you to understand something. This was his prayer. He says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, and if my slide is stuck, you can help me out with that. Ephesians 1, verse 18 and 19, Paul says, here's my prayer, that you may know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. Paul's prayer is that you would know personally, experientially, intimately, the power of God that is working in you right now. Not to just know God is powerful, but that his power is toward us who believe. And this is what causes us as believers to say, my God is able. Able to do what? Anything. Anything. If God can be raised from the dead, he can do anything. If God can open the eyes of the blind, if, if the Lord can walk on water like it's a sidewalk, he can do anything. Our God is able. Amen. Now, before we get further into this fact, God is able, let me also just show you what scripture shares with us about two absolutely, or I should say absolute inabilities. Two absolute inabilities. In other words, there are two things that are absolutely impossible. Let's understand that first. Number one concerns all mankind. The second one concerns every created thing whether they are visible or invisible, there are two absolutely impossible things. Number one, it is impossible that man or woman can pay the debt of their sin. Jesus told the parable about the master and his servant. And when it came time for the master to collect the money that was owed to him, the servant was swallowed up by a mountain of debt. And Jesus says he was not able to pay it. The servant came to the master and he said, master, just give me time and I'll pay it back to you. But no time in the world, all the time in the world wasn't enough for him to pay back his debt. It was too much like the depths of the ocean. This man did not need more time. He didn't need a second job. He didn't need to borrow money from someone else. The one thing he needed was mercy. That was it. He needed Mercy. And that's exactly what he received by his Lord. Mercy and forgiveness. 
In the same way, we are all swallowed up with the debt of sin and you cannot pay it. You're not rich enough. There's not enough time for you to pay such a debt. But the Lord has been merciful to you. And through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God says, payment paid in full. Mercy is what we needed. The second thing that is absolutely impossible, Paul says in Romans, nothing, no created thing is able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Amen. Paul says there is nothing visible or invisible that can separate you from the love of Almighty God. So with these two truths, let us right now take mercy in one hand and take love with the other. And let's walk through these last few verses of Romans and learn that our God is able. Paul is going to reveal to us how God is able. We've learned something about God through these last three verses. Three things. We're going to learn, number one, that he is unstoppable. Amen? Number two, he is unlimited. And number three, he is unfailing. Oh, I'm excited to get started. Let's do it. Number one, he is unstoppable. Say that. Unstoppable. Look what Paul says in verse 25 and also in verse 26. I'm still stuck here in the slides. Paul says, Now to him who is able, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest, and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. I want you to notice two words in there. Two words. They are mystery and manifest. Paul says there's something that God was going to reveal into this world. It started out as a secret, a mystery, something that couldn't quite be seen or understood. It was happening right before man's eyes, but they couldn't quite understand it. And then that mystery was made manifest. And before I explain that a little bit more, what he's talking about is Jesus Christ, who from before the world began, it was already ordained that he would come into the world and to give his life as a ransom for sinners. But consider our unstoppable God who proclaimed from before the world began, I am going to do something. I'm going to plan something and it will take place. Here we are in the beginning and in the future it will take place. It began as a mystery, but one day it will be manifested. In the beginning, the Bible says that God created all things. He created mankind. He created us. He created us to be in a relationship with him. The Bible says that in the beginning, God walked in the garden, searching out Adam and Eve, wishing to walk with them, speak to them, embrace them. That's always been God's intention, to have relationship with man. But then sin came into the world. Adam and Eve both failed and sin corrupted man, separated man from God. But God had a plan. 
And nothing could stop the plan of God, not even sin. In fact, God would use such things to bring about his plan. And so from the very beginning of time, all the way back in Genesis, God began to reveal this plan. Decade after decade, generation after generation, people group after people group, the plan of salvation had already begun. God wanted to take a man named Abraham and make him into a mighty nation. And one day that nation would birth the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Jewish nation. Do you know that nation has probably been persecuted more than any other nation in the history of the world? Kingdoms, emperors, kings and peoples, they have wanted nothing more than to obliterate the Jewish nation, put an end to them, wipe them out of the face of the earth. They've been attacked. They've been captive. They've been having their cities burned down. The temple at some point was destroyed. Man tried to destroy that nation God was building, but they could not because God always had a remnant of people. There were those who tried to kill the prophets of God, those who were proclaiming God's plan, God's purposes. There were evil people like Jezebel and Ahab who were slaughtering the prophets of God. And at one point, it looked like only Elijah was left, just Elijah. But God revealed to Elijah, I've got many more that you know not of. They could not stop the word of God from being proclaimed. They could not stop the plan of God from coming into fruition. And even Israel itself, by the time you come to the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, they're already failing spiritually. There's no devotion to God. There's no loyalty. There's no obedience. There's no care. Nevertheless, the Gospel of Matthew opens with Christ being born in Israel. When he was born, that evil king named Herod didn't want Messiah. The king was jealous of this newborn king, so he attempted to slaughter that baby that was born. He slaughtered many babies, in fact, hoping to kill Jesus, but he couldn't. He couldn't stop this plan from happening. And one day Jesus appeared when he was about 30 years old. John the Baptist pointed to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. He's here. He was prophesied by God in Genesis chapter 3. Here he is. Nothing could stop him from coming into this world. And then his ministry began. His mission had begun at that moment. And yes, his mission involved ministering to people, healing, teaching, doing mighty works before the people's eyes declaring who the Father is, revealing Himself as the Son of God. But His ultimate mission was to go to the cross and to give His life for us. Before He went to the cross, He said to His disciples, My sorrow is great. I am sorrowful even to the point of death. Because He knew the cross was coming. But that sorrow wouldn't stop Him. The cross was also a horrific way to die. It was the Romans' way of inflicting as much punishment as possible, as much pain as possible. That wasn't just the horror to Jesus. The real horror of the cross was that he was going to be made our sin on the cross. And he would suffer the full weight of God's wrath on our behalf. That's what made it a horror to go to the cross. But that horror 
did not stop Jesus. He died, and they put him into a tomb, but that tomb couldn't stop him. Even death itself couldn't stop him, because the Bible says death could not hold him. And three days later, he was raised from the dead. And brothers and sisters, that resurrection was like the blooming flower. That was the manifestation of everything God spoke in the beginning. It was a secret. People didn't understand it. They weren't sure what exactly God was doing. But when Jesus died and he rose again, now it is all revealed. Like the sun shining upon all of us, we have known what God's plan has been from the beginning, that he chose to save sinners and to give his life for them, for us. Why did I go through all of that? Well, first of all, because that's what Paul is mentioning in these verses, that entire unstoppable plan of God. But I'm telling you all this to show you no one can stop God. No king, no nation, no person, no power can stop the working of God. Nothing can stop the gospel from being proclaimed. Rome tried that with the church. In the year 300, it was the most tragic, most horrible persecution in the history of the church. The Caesar of that time was killing every Christian he could find, burning down, destroying every church he could find, and burning every copy of the Bible he could find. And at some point, he believed he succeeded in getting rid of all the Christians, all the churches, all the Bibles. And according to history, he took a Bible that was burned up, put it on the ground, and made a monument celebrating, I have ruined Christianity. It's done. Little did he know that the gospel was being proclaimed throughout all the nations. And people were being saved by the thousands upon thousands. Little did he know that those Bibles were already copied over thousands upon thousands of times. They were already spread through all the nations of the known world. He thought he stopped God. He thought he stopped the gospel. He thought he got rid of the Christians. Little did he know our God is an unstoppable God. Amen? God is able. And let me tell you this. When a sinner comes to God, in order to turn from their sin and receive mercy from God, there's nothing that stops God from saving that person. There's nothing that can stop God from raising that person from death to life. Now you might say, yeah, but there are a lot of people who have such really bad sin. There are some really wicked people out there. If they come to Christ and believe, nothing can stop God from raising them to new life. The multitude of your sins, they cannot overthrow the magnitude of God's love and mercy and power. God is unstoppable. Amen? Number two, he is unlimited. Verse 25, now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying that when the gospel is proclaimed, and people hear the good news of Jesus, when they trust in him, Paul says, now God is able 
to establish you. Establishing you is something after you've been saved. This isn't talking about God just saved you. No, God already saved you and now he has established you. What does that mean? Well, it literally means to point you into a direction and lead you to your destination. That's what it means. It means that God has turned you into a certain direction and you will reach that destination. God has established you. I know I've told this story so many times, but it should, it should be repeated. If you haven't been here for a few months, maybe you haven't heard my famous fishing story before. But let me tell you quickly how this went. When I was 16 years old, I went deep sea fishing with my brother and another guy from our church. It was out of the, the coast of North Carolina, America. We went out into the Atlantic Ocean, about 25, 26 miles. This boat had no business being that far out in the, in the waters. And we didn't really realize that until we were hitting some choppy water. But we were out there trying to fish, trying to have a good time. Nothing happened except we got sunburned really badly. But at about two o'clock in the afternoon, there were thunder clouds beginning to surround us. And it happened so quickly, we didn't even like have time to react. It was just there. We were so focused on the water, we weren't paying attention to what was happening above us. But before we knew it, we could hear the thunder. We could see the lightning and it started to pour down heavy rain and the water got really choppy really quick. And so we knew it's time to pull up the poles, get that engine going, let's get back home. It takes about an hour to get from where we were out into the water. It took about an hour. But to get back, we had to go through such a fearful storm. I tell you, and I'm not lying, I, I was looking and I ended up seeing two tornadoes right in front of us, starting high up in the, and there's whipping down to the water. And it was so heavy, you could see like the mist of the water rising up. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Most frightful thing I've ever seen in my life. The lightning was hitting water around us. The waves were so choppy. And then because it was getting so, it was taking so long to get home, it was pitch black. Because what took an hour to get out ended up taking six hours to get back. It was pitch black. We couldn't even see when a wave was coming to hit our boat. All I could do was hold on like this for dear life and pray that God will save me. And I remember Steve, the guy that we were with, all he had was like a flashlight <laughs> driving the boat. And he said, if, oh, if we just keep the compass pointed to this certain degree west, we should get back home. And all he could do was just drive through this storm, looking at a compass, keeping it in that degree. What he was doing was establishing us, setting our direction and establishing us. Now, if you had told me from the very beginning, don't worry, Heath, you're going to make it home. I still would have been scared out of my shoes. We did make it home, of course. And I remember seeing the lights of buildings showing up on the horizon. I was so happy. We finally got into the harbor, into the inlet. The water was calm. The storm was over. And I was just thanking God that he brought us home. I remember for a long time, I couldn't open my hands because they were so clenched like this for all that time. It took me a while to actually open them up. But you know, that whole story... It was, how do we get from here? And we've got to get to there. That's, that's home. That's where we need to get to. But between here and there, there is storm. There are frightful things 
There's a, a, a heavy wind. There are tornadoes, lightning, all the water that's beating against the boat, and it's pitch black outside. All we had to do was establish that boat and just keep going. And eventually, we made it home. Paul says, when you put your trust in Jesus, God establishes you. And from the moment you trust in Jesus, you are now living a life headed home. And I'm not talking about where you live in Samaran. I'm talking about where you're going to live in heaven. He sets you on course to go home. Now between here and there, are there choppy waters? Are there storms? Are there winds? Is there darkness? Are there frightful times? Yes. But praise God, he establishes us. And God is able to see us through to the end. That's what this means. And we learn that God is unlimited. And I can already tell I'm going to run over my normal time for preaching. But please bear with me because I need you to hear all of this. You with me? You awake? From here to there. Now we're talking about, of course, from here where we are today until we see him face to face. But there are a lot of from here to theirs in life. Like some of you that are here today. Maybe from here to there is a young person saying, I know where I'm going to college, but there's a lot of stuff that has to happen between now and then. Not, not exactly sure how I'm going to do this, how we're going to be able to afford that, how I'm going to get there. And you parents are even worse. What's going to happen when my kid is gone and I don't see them anymore? Oh, it's a horrible storm we all have to go through from here to there. Or maybe for some of you, there's something that God has called you to, a ministry or something you feel emboldened to do for the name of the Lord, but you don't know how you're going to do it. You can imagine doing it, but how am I going to get there? I'm, I'm here. How am I going to get there? Or maybe in your family, in your marriage or with your children, things are not the way they should be right now. And you're praying and you're asking, God, help us. God, restore us. God, heal us. I, I can see it. It's over there, but right now we're here. How are we going to get from here to there? Or maybe just some of you here today, whatever trial you're facing today, whatever choppy waters you're in right now, how do we get from here to there? I'll tell you how. It's by trusting in the God who is able and trusting in the God who is unlimited. Unlimited. Remember Abraham. God made a wonderful promise to Abraham. He promised him, of course, heaven itself, but he, almost, he almost, also promised Abraham he was going to make him into a mighty nation of people, the nation of Israel. Well, at the time, Abraham was 100 years old. His wife is 90 years old, or at least sometime after God said this. But at one point, they're really old. They've never even been able to have children, and yet God is promising them this nation of people. And maybe Abraham said, okay, God, you're telling me what to see, but here's where I am right now. And for me to get from here to there, there's a lot that has to happen, God. For instance, I've never been able to have children with my wife, and now we're really old. God, if we're going to get from here to there, we're going to have to see your power at work. We're going to need you to do a miracle in our lives for us to be able to do this. And not only that, 
But for us to become a nation of people, you're going to have to help me with my relationships with the people who are around me, the people of Canaan, the people of surrounding cultures and, and, and people groups. God, you're going to have to move in their hearts so that we can learn to have some sort of relationship with each other. God, if I'm going to be a mighty nation of people, we need to be prosperous. I need to be successful. You're going to have to bless my livestock, bless my workers. We're going to have to be able to make a living and provide for ourselves. God, I'm going to need wisdom to know what to do, to know when to do it. God, I'm going to need protection from my enemies. And do you know what Abraham found in all of those details? God accomplished every single one of them. Because God said, you will get there. And how am I going to get there? It wasn't up to Abraham. It was up to the God who was able. If God said to Abraham or to you, you can get there if you try hard enough, guess what? You'll never leave this right here. You'll never leave it. You'll be stuck here forever. But with God, he is able and there's nothing he cannot accomplish for your life. So look what the Bible says about Abraham and about his faith. It says, that's the last verse. I oh, know that that's, there we go. This is what it says about Abraham. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also, what? Able to perform. Maybe Abraham said, God, what you're going to do? <laughs> I don't know how. I do not know how. But I know this. You are able to do. You are able to perform what you say. If you want me from here to there, there's nothing you cannot accomplish in my life. There's no limit to you, God. Abraham had to learn to trust in God. And I want to encourage all of you today to have that kind of faith. And also be encouraged because the, thing that, the things that God will do in your life and through your life between here and whatever there is, or let's just say between now and when we see Jesus, the thing that God wants to do in your life the Bible says it's beyond what you could ever imagine. Do you know that verse? Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power, that dynamis power that works in us. There's nothing God cannot do. So I want to encourage you today Whatever you're facing, whatever you're facing right now, I want you to look at this and not just agree with me and say, oh yeah, that's what the Bible says. Okay, yeah, God, you're, you're able. Now, yeah, do that, but do more than that. Take those words and put them in your heart. Take those words and fill it with, fill your prayers with these words. Take, take these words and say, God, I stand upon what you say. And I believe that you are able. In the situation I'm in right now, you are able. You will do the work. You are able to do this in me. The Bible says in the Gospel of Matthew, there were two blind men. And they were following Jesus, calling out for mercy. That's just mercy. Have mercy on us. Jesus went into the house. 
and they followed him inside. And when Jesus saw them, he said, do you believe that I am able to do this? Oh, that's a searching question, isn't it? What was he asking them? He's asking them to not just believe that he has power. Maybe they heard about that power. They know he's got power, but he wants to go further than that. Do you believe that my power can be at work in you? Do you believe that I love you enough, that I'm compassionate and merciful enough? Do you think I care about you enough to work my power in your life? That was his question. Do you believe I am able to do this? It was a searching question, and they gave him a simple answer. They said, yes, Lord. That was it. Yes, Lord. And the Bible says he touched their eyes, and he said, then according to your faith, let it be done. And their eyes were open, and they could see. Let us believe, not to just look at God from afar and say he is an incredibly wonderful, power-working God, but also say that he cares about me. He cares about my needs. He's calling me. He's sending me. He's doing things in my life that are impossible for me, but with him, he's able. His power is at work in my life, and he is unlimited. You with me? Amen? Last one, number three. He is unfailing. Unfailing. Paul says, between the first and the last verse, now to him who is able, to God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. And he ends it with, amen. The Bible teaches us that Jesus is the Son of God. And from all eternity past, the Father and the Son have always been in intimate fellowship with each other. And they shared the glory of all things with each other. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have always been united in their glory. But then the Son of God came into the world. And when he did, he humbled himself. He made himself into the likeness of man, even a servant, a slave. He made himself a slave to the Father. He made himself such a servant, he was willing to obey even being crucified on a cross. But when Jesus gave his life on the cross, when he died and he rose again, he gave God the Father the greatest glory ever known in all the world. Jesus alone brings to God the greatest glory because he accomplished salvation for us. And for all of us today who trust in him, we will also bring glory to God, not just for today, not just for tomorrow, but as Paul says, forever. What Jesus has done for you is forever. What he has accomplished is forever. And forever and ever and beyond we will all be in the presence of God singing his praises because of the one man, Jesus Christ, who gave his life for us. And when he accomplished that work, he did not fail. Amen? Let me just close with two verses. 
that show you that he is unfailing. The first one, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. This gives me one of the greatest comforts from all scripture. Therefore, he, that is Jesus, therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Look at that. Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. What does that mean? What is it the uttermost? In other words, it means that he is able to save you perfectly, completely, without fail. He is able to save you forever. He gives you the ability to say, not just one day I'm going to have eternal life. No, through Jesus you say, I have eternal life. He is able to save you perfectly and without fail. And the Bible says right here in Romans, he always lives to make intercession for us. You know what that means? It means that right now, right now, Jesus is in heaven. And you know that Jesus still has the prince of nails in his hands. He still carries those wounds. He will forever. And the wound of his feet and the wound in his side. He still carries the wounds of his crucifixion and he will forever. Do you know why? Because he intercedes for us. That means he stands in heaven day after day without end. And he says, I am the proof that my people are saved. I am the proof that they have been given eternal life. You know, all the times that we remember how simple we are. You know, every day, if you think about it, you can remind yourself how much you fail, how much you sin. But you know what Jesus does in heaven? He reminds all of heaven that he's bought you with a price, that you now belong to him. And according to this, he lives forever. And do you know that that means that when Jesus saves you, when you trust in him and you, you walk in that fellowship of Christ, he saves you. And you will be saved as long as Jesus lives. And church, let me tell you, he lives forever. He lives forever. He is able to save you perfectly and without fail. And every day, he represents you. And he reminds all of heaven, you belong to him. Amen? Last verse that declares to us, he does not fail. Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 39, This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up on the last day. He's talking about you. He's talking about all those who have trusted in him. According to Jesus, he says that the Father's will is that Jesus will not lose any of you. None of you. He doesn't lose you because he doesn't fail you. He is a perfect savior. He never gets it wrong. Of all the people today who want to be saved and their idea of salvation is following the right religion, giving enough money, praying enough times, 
doing enough good things, all those things will fail. There's only one who does not fail you. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he promises you, I will not lose you. One day, when we come to the end of our life here on earth, I pray we see the rapture. I, that's how I want to go. I want Jesus to call us the church and raise us up right into heaven. I'd rather go like that. But if I should die before, and when my body becomes weak, and I'm in my bed, and my breathing becomes more and more weakened, as I'm closing my eyes for the last time, and as the darkness of death begins to envelop me, there will be a voice. And he's going to say to me, I will not lose you. I will not lose you. And when we close our eyes in this world, we will open them again and see him in his world because he does not fail. Amen? Musicians, would you come?